Verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I'm reminded right away, this scripture you're talking of the Word, the Word is Jesus, right? We know that. The Son of God, uh, God the Son. So the Word was, the Word was, let's see, the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, here's the good news, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Verse 16, out of this fullness, out of his fullness, we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God and is in his in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. Let's pray together. Father, we, we believe in your word and we trust your word. And we're thankful for your word and the promises and the truths that are held within it. And God, today, as we try to learn and grow closer to you, we pray that you would open our eyes, that we would see you more clearly. Holy Spirit, we always invite you here. We want to meet with you. God, it would be a waste of time to not come into this place and to come to encounter you in a way that would change us, that would challenge us. God, I'm always amazed at how we could come into this place with so many different issues in our life, so many different places from so many different backgrounds, and you can speak to each one of our hearts and each one of our minds and each one of our souls. And so, God, as as we look into this word, I just pray that you would take us and put us in a moment um, where you speak to each one of us. That we would seek a fresh word, insight from you. That you would break down our greatest misconceptions. You would eliminate our biggest fears. And you would speak right to where we are in each of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So, so this last month, we've been in Advent. And that Advent is the idea of anticipation looking forward to something. Uh, and so we spent several weeks, remember, talking about what we were looking forward to. Uh, first week, we talked about this hope and then peace and then joy and then love. And then on Christmas, this arrival. Well, this week, if you've been following along with our reading uh, through our online groups and things, we're talking about the incarnation. This idea that the word 
became flesh. Incarnation. The word incarnate literally means to put on flesh. So the word becoming flesh. And it's interesting to me um, because as we're in this transition right now, as we're looking at, and we've been in Mark, and we've talked about Jesus as he came and he became flesh, and all that he was, okay, all that he, he was and he lived and his relationships and all the things that he was. And then we stopped at a point. And next week, we're actually transitioning from learning about who he was and who he was to the disciples. And that he was a friend and that he was a teacher and he was a rabbi. And we're stopping at this point where we're going to pick up next week in transition. Where now we're going to see who he was also becoming as we're going to start looking towards the cross. And that he was turning to be not just who he was as teacher, rabbi, friend, but also as Messiah, as, as Savior, as we go to the cross. As I look at this scripture and I think about this idea of putting on flesh and the incarnation and who Jesus was becoming to us. It's interesting we are studying this idea of who he is becoming to the whole world as he redeems and he restores the world as well. It's who he is becoming. He became, he became flesh. Um, we talk a lot. And I think our church, I think we give a lot of leeway. We got to give a lot of leash to one another to embrace the journey of what it means to be a Christ follower. A lot of times we feel this, I don't know if you want to call it intuitive or Maybe it's just this fleshly desire to, um, to pretend or to act like we have always arrived as Christ followers. When we get around other people, other Christians, whether it's stronger believers or less believers, we feel this pressure to act like and feel like we have arrived and we are something that we're really not. But something we've always tried to concentrate on is creating this environment of this church where we're like, listen, none of us are, have arrived, but we are all instead becoming who we, are, who we are to be in Christ. And that our journey is what we're celebrating. Because if we think about it as that thing that we're just going to arrive at while we're here on earth, we're always going to be chasing that thing instead of sitting in the moment and realizing it's on the journey that we become who God desires us to be. I am always amazed when we look at the stories and the lives of Jesus that he is always on his way somewhere where something significant happens. All the stories from the Bible where he ministers to a people or stops for the party or serves these or heals someone, always he was on his way to someone. It was almost always an interruption. <clears throat> and as we see the stories throughout scripture, we see them not as interruption, but they were the key parts of telling who he was and what he was really about. With that license to think about and to celebrate the journey of becoming. <coughs> Y'all gonna forgive me, I'm about to have a coughing fit. I promise. Pray for me. Okay. The area of this is something we talk about if you've been to our partner class, we think is really important. Um, and I think it really takes a shift in thinking. Because in America, as there is many different places. I, I was in Africa in, in December, Jen and I, and you see different kind of church cultures. <clears throat> but one of the things is there's this thing about this church culture, this Western church culture in America, where you feel this pressure to do things that you don't really feel yet, or where you aren't really, you haven't arrived, but you have to feel like you act like you have been. And there's this church culture that I know that I grew up in. It wasn't a specific church, but it was just this feeling where I felt like, 
Um, the first thing I had to do to be accepted by anyone else in the church or anyone else who was a Christ follower, even before God, in order to be accepted by him, I had to behave a certain way. The first, I thought the most important thing was don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. And look like this, look like that, and hold, say, you know, that you would have to behave a certain way before you could fit in, before you were accepted, before you could actually please God. And so there was this concept, this idea of this funnel of acceptance that I, I lied that our culture kind of tells us this is the way it has to go, where we feel like you have to behave first, then believe second, which doesn't make any sense, behave first, then believe second, that, that then you might belong. You can't belong until you believe, and you raise the hand and say, I accepted Jesus as my Savior, but you have to behave first, believe, then you can belong somewhere. One of the things that I think Jesus taught through, through almost every story of his life was that the very first thing he said to anyone, whether they were the biggest sinner, the biggest tax collector, uh, the biggest outcast, the, whatever it was, is he first said, you belong first. You belong at my table. In fact, not only do you belong at my table, I'm coming to your house and I want to sit at your table. That the first thing Jesus always said was you belong no matter who you are and what you've done and what you've experienced and what you're caught up in and what your misconception is. You need to understand that there is a place that you belong with me with the hope that you might believe. But then instead of moving towards that now you could behave and act right and do the right things, instead of moving from belong and believe to behave, instead we're moving to that we would become. That we are invited into this journey of becoming more like Christ. That acknowledges a handful of things. The first thing it acknowledges is that none of us are really fully like Christ. That we've all got a little ways to go. And it's an interesting thing because we always feel, don't you, you ever, you, I mean, do you ever feel that way? Do you ever look at yourself and you think about yourself spiritually and then you think of someone else and you go, yeah, but I could never be like that guy. Man, they're so Christian. You know, they're so Christian and I just stink. I could never, you know, and you look at someone else and you feel, I've always felt, I look at Trey Pruitt. I'm like, man, that guy is such a godly man. Why are you guys laughing? Trey, are you in here? Uh, he wouldn't in here. Let's read it. When he comes back, we'll do that. Uh, oh, there he is. Hi, Trey. It's, you know, it's funny. I used to think, um, you know, when I, was, when I first got into ministry, I'd look at all the other pastors and I'd always feel, I would always feel intimidated by them. And I always think, man, I feel like I'm faking it. And they're like the real deal. And then you finally get, you know, in yourself and you start growing and you feel confident in who you are and everything and you feel like you're getting going and then you land in Uganda and you meet a 24-year-old girl who's adopted 15 orphans living her life for the gospel and you go holy cow I've got so far to go but to step back and God go Brandon you're not a 24-year-old girl who's going to adopt 15 other girls in Uganda you're a 40-year-old dude in Austin and I've got you on this journey. But to be able to just embrace that moment and go, who am I now? And who am I becoming? When I think about the incarnation, it gives such an amazing permission to us to recognize 
and to celebrate and to settle into this journey, not of apathy, but of trajectory, of knowing I'm here. God, I'm here. And he goes, yeah, I know. But I want to go this way. I want to be headed this way. Because we are becoming who Christ came and died to make us. And we could settle into that. As we look at this scripture in John 1, there, I think there are three truths that really stand out to me personally. That I think, okay, if I don't believe these things, then these things are going to keep me from becoming who Christ wants me to be. So there are three lessons I think I can learn from this scripture. Three lessons really from the incarnation that we can learn. And if we don't believe them, it's gonna, it, it may be one of the reasons we struggle in certain areas of our lives. So think about these three. The first one is this reality. First is that God is translatable. God is translatable. Now, I love saying that because sometimes I get weird faces like, what does that mean? Um, God is translatable. If you think about it, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning and the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. What this is telling us is that God, who is omnipresent, who is all powerful, who is timeless, who is everywhere, who is unfathomable, his greatness, that you and I could no way in any way really fully understand who he is translated himself in fullness into our language, into our world, put on skin, walked as a man, experienced what we experienced, had to go to sleep, hurt, it hurt his toe when he stubbed it, lived a life amongst a broken world and culture, and he literally translated himself, his fullness, to us in the person of Christ. The fullness, Scripture is very clear to go over and over and over to say he was fully translated. His fullness was captured in who Jesus himself was. Okay? That's the first one, that God is translatable. We're going to come back to these. The second one is that it's the gospel, this good news that we're talking about, that God is translatable, that Jesus did come to die for our sins, and that we have a new covenant. It's this gospel that transforms that the, that the truth is that it's the gospel that transforms. It's this new, it's this good news that transforms. It's that the fact that Jesus came that transforms and who he is that transforms, not our ability to transform ourselves. And it's very important that we know this as well. And here's why. Because too easily we see things we grow spiritually or see, see something in scripture and we say, that shouldn't be like that in my own life. I want to do this. I need to do this. And, and what we end up doing is we try to just change our behavior. We just modify our behavior instead of changing our identity. There's a difference between behavior modification and identity transformation. When we find our identity in Christ, okay... He doesn't just change everything around us. What he does is he changes the way we view everything around us. And he changes the way we feel about everything around us. And when we go from one day and we're so oblivious and ignorant about needs in the world. And then a year later, we're like, holy cow, what's going on? We have to do something because our identity is changing because of who Christ is and who we are becoming. 
Okay? There's a difference. It's important for us to know it's the gospel that transforms. One, God is translatable. Two, it's the gospel that transforms. And then three, and, and here's how he does it, Scripture tells us. Well, let me read the Scripture. Here's how he does it. Because of his fullness, uh, because he's fully God, he transforms us in his glory. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came with the Father, full of two things. Everything that he is can be put in two categories. Grace and truth. Grace and truth is what transforms us. Okay, we're going to come back to that too. So God is translatable. It's the gospel that transforms. As we think about who we are becoming, do you really believe God is translatable? And then it's the gospel that transforms. And third one is that it's Jesus who makes all things new. It's Jesus who makes things new. We don't make things new for Jesus. He makes all things new. He restores broken things. He renews things. He makes things new every day. I love this scripture talking about this grace that was already given. So it's this grace that tomorrow, it's, it's enough for tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. And that Jesus doesn't have to come again and die on the cross again. There's enough grace forever. He makes us new each day. So here's my hope for us today. God's translatable. It's the gospel that transforms. Jesus makes all things new. Ultimately, it's Jesus who makes all things new. In his fullness, he makes all things new. This this new year, <clears throat> everyone in this room, including me, we, have, we can probably identify things in our lives that have been thorn in our fleshes, that have been things that we have not been able to overcome spiritually for our whole lives. Maybe it's new. Maybe it's something forever. You've tried. There are areas in our lives. I want you to think about today. What is the area of your life that is just like, man, I cannot seem to kick. I cannot get over. I cannot conquer. This thing owns me. I don't know why. Either I try or I don't try, but either way, it wins. Whatever it is, what place in your life is that happening? What place in your life are you not believing that God can translate himself into that place? What are those areas? Think about it. What places does God seem not to translate into your life? Where it seems impossible or it doesn't seem to be happening or you can't seem to do it. Where are those places? For you, it may be your work. Maybe spiritually at home and amongst your relationships and friends, everything's fine. But you got two lives. Work life and there's no connection between your spiritual life. Maybe it is in your relationships. Maybe it's in your finances. Maybe, it, maybe in you, it's in your own insecurities and your own anxieties and your own fears that you are petrified in your life because it just doesn't seem like God is being translated into that darkest place in your own life. What place? Can you think of what those areas are? As a parent, as a husband, as a wife, as an employer, as a fill in the blank. Where are those areas in your life? God is translatable. Second truth is that it's the gospel that transformed through what? Grace and truth. So I want you to think about that thing. What is it that comes in your mind? And, and here's what you're probably doing. If you're like me, here's what you're doing. What comes in your mind? Boom, that came. No, that ain't it. No, the first thing that pops in your mind is probably it. Or at least a couple of them. Think about those things. And now here's what I want to ask you. 
Which do you need to give it in order for God to be translated? Is it more truth or is it more grace? I, I tend to look at the, the mountains in my life that I can't seem to climb. And I just try to just explode everything. You know, try and just annihilate it with everything I can. Instead of thinking what needs to be attacking this hill. There are things in our lives that we need to step back and we, won't, we can't admit is sin. And we can't admit is really getting in the way of our life. And, and we are doing this mental Olympics with God. And, and we're like, I don't know, God, do you really care about that? And blah, blah, blah. And we just need to apply God's truth to that and go and allow him to speak into that. And allow him to be translated in that. Allow that light to shine in that. And him just say, yeah, that matters. You need to deal with that. And you need to just receive the truth from that. And it needs to be spoken into that. And you need to stop fooling yourself. And I need to stop fooling myself. And we need to just go, yeah, God, this scenario is not how you want it. And I'm holding on to it. And, and I'm struggling in this. And I don't want to let go of it. But we need to at least look at it and say, but God, I know it's against you. And I don't know how to deal with it. Will you help me? And we need to apply truth to it. And we need to just be honest about it. You know what a confess means to say the same thing as? That's all it means. It confess to confess our sin, to confess something doesn't mean to tell God something he doesn't know. It's not like you're going, God, you know, I've done this and it's a sin. And he's like, really? What? You're like, yeah. It's to agree. God, I need some truth in this. <clears throat> but some of those areas in our lives, we're over here on the other side. And we're constantly beating ourselves up. And someone or something in our life has been telling us forever that we don't stack up or we're not worthy or something happened to our lives that you can't control. And because of that, you see yourself here instead of here. And whatever that may be in your life, Jesus is full of grace and truth. In that area, maybe you're needing to apply more of Jesus' grace in your life. And when to allow him to truly receive his goodness and his forgiveness and his redemption that he wants to bring to it. And stop looking at that thing that you did that got you there that was so bad and so you still feel guilty and guilty and guilty because you're annihilating yourself with truth when you've already received that it's wrong and now turn it and receive some grace for it and move forward. For you, is it more truth or is it more grace? Which one? So what are your areas? What do you need to attack it with to expose, to translate God to those areas? And then imagine, what would it look like on the other side of that obstacle? Here's the last thought I have for you, another question on that. What areas are you withholding truth and grace to someone else? What areas are you and I are we withholding truth and grace to someone else? Let me tell you where I do that. I do that when I fail to live my life for other people. I withhold grace from those who need it when God says, you need to do this to serve this person or to reach out to that person or to help these people or to fight for this cause and I refuse to do it. I'm withholding grace and I'm withholding truth to them. Sometimes it's individual people in our lives. We've withheld grace for years and it's killing us spiritually. Some of us, just because we are apathetic about faith, we withhold truth 
speaking to our friends or living that to those guys who are around us. And before long, we just end up living a life where we're just one of the boys. And we're good people, but we're not really living in the grace and truth of Christ. What does that look like? I just really believe that it's God's desire that each of us, we would receive this grace. Every facet of our lives. In every dark corner. In every restless moment. That, you, that we would know a God who does not withhold this from us, from us at all. He does not withhold. <clears throat> I was, um, ran across a sermon, a New Year's Eve sermon, or a New Year's Day sermon from, uh, online from Charles Spurgeon, who is a theologian. It was written, and he, he gave the sermon on January 1st in 1885. And what I love is he started this scripture, his sermon, he just stood up, and he just read Revelation 21.5. And here's what it said. Speaking of Jesus. Said, and he that sat upon the throne said, behold, I make all things new. That's what happens with the incarnation. That's what happens. That's what he's doing here. And that's what he wants to do in our life each day. Let's pray.